If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Oops, I think I just broke the mic. Matthew chapter 4. I told you I broke the mic. Leave it alone. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Hopefully you found it by now. Matthew chapter 4, we'll begin reading with verse 1 of that chapter, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Father, we come before you thanking you for your many blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hold a copy in our hands and read from it, study from it, and hear it preached. And Father, I thank you for our pastor. Lord, I pray that you will fill him with your power, with your spirit as he comes and opens up your word. And Father, I pray that you will flow through him and into the ears of each and every listener. And Father, that we will learn and grow closer to you, and the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, and Father, we sit there and go out here and tell the world about you and about your love. And Father, we thank you for each and every one that's listening, and Father, I just pray that you'll touch each and every need that's represented, and Father, I just pray that you'll strengthen us and guide us and draw us unto you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of spiritual warfare and temptation. There should be a worksheet in your bulletin from this morning if you have that, if you do not have that. If you'll raise your hand, we'll get one of those to you. If you need one, just hold it up there for a minute, and the guys will bring that to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. As we think about this story given to us in the book of Matthew, we remember that Matthew was written by a converted Jewish tax collector who worked for the Roman government. Now, you know how we feel about the IRS. Well, can you imagine what it would be like if our IRS agents worked for, the, for communist China? Well, sometimes we think that they might. We're not sure about that. But anyway, Matthew worked for the Roman government, and they felt the same way in Bible days as we do about our tax collectors. The IRS agents of the New Testament were agents of foreign government. 
And Matthew held his job, this job that was truly, utterly despised by every patriotic Jew. He took the opportunity to create great income for himself by, accept, by accepting money from his own people for an occupying government. Needless to say, Matthew was not a popular guy in his day. But then, one day, this, new, this Jewish tax collector met the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was never the same after that. And that should be true of all of us. Our life is never the same after we come to know the Lord. Matthew wrote his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he centers it around the Lord Jesus, whom he calls the king over 30 times. He speaks of the king and his kingdom. In his gospel, he quotes the Old Testament over 60 times. No other New Testament writer quoted the Old Testament as often as Matthew did. But every one of these Old Testament quotes are what we call messianic promises. They are attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he met while he was collecting taxes. You see, salvation really is a life-changing event, and Matthew understood that. In the first nine chapters of the book of Matthew, he reveals the king to us, and he tells us some personal things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 10 through 16, he tells us about the king being resisted by the religious leaders and the government leaders of his day. And then in chapter 17 through 27, he talks about the king being rejected. The people for a period of time wanted to determine whether Christ was really the Messiah and not just a Messiah or some sort of religious nut. And so he went through a period of time in which he was rejected and resisted by the people. And then came the masses of people that rejected him. And of course, that ended up in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the masses of people rejecting Christ is not much different than our day today, is it? The masses today reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Matthew comes to his final chapter, which is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible, the 28th chapter of Matthew. And he speaks about the resurrected king, about Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Now back here in chapter 4, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us some very private, private and unusual experience in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what we call the temptation in the wilderness. These first 11 verses that David read for us today answer four questions that tell us how the normal Christian can have victory in our lives over temptation. Remember that there are two interpretations in the Bible to the word temptation. Temptation is, can be used as enticement, which the devil uses, to ensnare us, to try to destroy us. That is to be tempted by the devil to do evil. Now remember that God, James tells us, God never tempts any man to do evil. So... The other definition of the word temptation is to be tested or to be tried or to be proved. God never tempts us to do evil, but God does test us and God does try us and God does prove us. So here in chapter 4, we're talking about an encounter with Satan. And Satan does tempt Jesus 
to do evil. Satan has not changed ever since the Garden of Eden, and he never will. He's very predictable in his tactics that he uses. And when you see those tactics in this passage of Scripture, you'll be able to recognize when you are being tempted of Satan to do evil. And one of the important things in our life as Christians is to be able to determine whether we're being tempted to do evil or whether we're being tested or tried by God. Satan tempts us to do evil. God tests us to do good, to bring out the best in us, to strengthen us, and to enable us to be more like him. So the Lord Jesus Christ, in this passage, overcame the temptation of Satan. And we find here the biblical method that we can have victory over temptation in our lives. There's not much more important in the Bible that we can learn than to know how Satan will attack us and know how we can then be victorious over the attacks that that he brings against us. This is a very powerful passage of Scripture. So I want you to notice several things about spiritual warfare and temptation. First of all, notice with me, who is exempt from temptation. Who is exempt from temptation? And the answer is very obvious. Absolutely no one. No one is exempted from temptation. If God, and Jesus Christ is God, amen? He is God. If God was tempted to do evil, so will we be tempted to do evil. Jesus, by the way, was not tempted to see whether he would or would not do evil. He was tempted to prove that he could not do evil because he was God. Since we know that temptation is common to all, we know that we will be attacked in the same way that Jesus was attacked and that Satan will attack us often in our lives. We know the verse, you've heard it many times, many of you have memorized it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter 10 and verse 13. It says there is no temptation that has taken you, but such is what? Common unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that he that ye may be able to bear it. So absolutely no one is going to be exempt from temptation. Second thing I want you to notice is that it is common. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, it is common unto man. Satan's works are common, and everyone experiences them. The devil loves to get us thinking that our temptation, nobody understands what we're going through. Nobody understands what I'm having to deal with. God says, I want you to know it's common. It's common unto man. Now, why did Jesus suffer through these temptations? Why did he have to go through this? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 gives us the answer to that. It says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, it's one thing to have a a priest who's locked up in a temple somewhere. Somebody said a bunch of old men dressed up like old women who are not married trying to tell people how to handle their family problems. That's kind of uh, humorous, isn't it? It's another thing to have a priest that has experienced the same problems that we have in life, and he overcame them. And so Hebrews says we do not have a high priest that was not tempted like we are, that cannot be touched with our feelings. We don't have somebody that doesn't understand us. We have somebody who does understand us. Amen? 
because he was tempted in all points like as we are. Hebrews 2 and verse 18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The, the phrase succor them means to bring help or to bring aid or to bring relief. In other words, because he has been through what we go through, he can help us as we go through it. God understands every time you and I are under a satanic attack. And he can help us through that attack. So, who is exempt from temptation? Absolutely no one. Second thing I want you to notice is, when can we expect to be tempted? When can we expect to be tempted? If you're going to be attacked by an enemy, how much would it help you if you knew when the attack was going to come? It'd help us a lot, wouldn't it? I can tell you this evening from the Bible when Satan is going to attack you. There are several times the Bible tells us. First of all, he attacks us at the consciousness of a great spiritual experience. At the consciousness of a great spiritual experience. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. What's the first word in chapter 4, verse 1? Then. then. Say it together with me. Yeah. Then. All right, now here's my question. When? Then. Well, what's he talking about? Well, where had Jesus just come from? Something happened and then said, God says, then he's tempted. So go back to chapter 3 with me for just a moment and look at verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A great spiritual experience. Jesus came up out of the water, the dove ascended, the Holy Spirit like a dove, and a voice of God came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let me make you a promise tonight. Every time you have a great spiritual experience in your life, it will shortly be followed by an attack of Satan on your life. You can expect it, you can count on it. When we have a great revival meeting like we did this last week, you can mark it down, the devil's going to attack. It's one of the reasons why I want to preach this message tonight. I want you to be aware and to be ready and to know that he's going to attack. Young people had a great week at camp. You come home, the devil attacks. We have a great ladies' retreat, men's retreat. We have a great VBS. You have a big day at church or, or a relative gets gloriously saved. And after that comes an attack. Ask Elijah about this. Elijah was up on Mount Carmel. You talk about a big day. He was there and all the prophets of Baal were there. And you remember the story. The prophets of Baal and, and the true God answers by fire from heaven. And the prophets of Baal, they all, they all day were running and crying and yelling and cutting themselves. And, and there's no fire. Nothing happens. And, and near the end of the day, it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah, he's not just satisfied with fire coming down to burn the sacrifice. He has them dig ditches all around it. And then he has them pour water all over and fill the ditches and cover the sacrifice. Did you know water doesn't burn? Unless God wants it to. 
Amen? And Elijah prayed a 19-word prayer. And God answered from heaven and the fire came down. And after that, the prophets of Baal are all put to death. Can you imagine a greater spiritual experience that Elijah could have had? And old Elijah starts home that night, and perhaps he thought he had it made. All the preachers that were preaching against him were dead. And all of the others that were still alive were saying, Elijah's God, he is God. And Elijah goes home and he sits down for supper and Mrs. Elijah fixes him a wonderful dinner of fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and broccoli and cheese sauce and homemade biscuits and banana pudding. and That's all in the Hebrew. You, wanna, you, you, you might not get that. But. And he hears a knock on the door. Mr. Elijah, Jezebel heard about what you did to her prophets and she sent me to tell you that by this time tomorrow you're going to be like one of those dead prophets. And Elijah fled in fear. That's so sad to me. Great experience that he just had. And God sent fire and all the prophets were destroyed. And he's running for fear. He ran away because he was afraid that he'd get killed. Isn't that interesting? He's afraid that he'd get killed. And he ran away. And as soon as he got away, he sat down under a juniper tree and prayed to die. <laughs> afraid you're going to get killed and pray to die. That's kind of a nutty thing to do. A man of God who's out of the will of God doesn't make good sense. And I like the way God responded to his prayer. He prayed to die, but Elijah was one of only two men in the Bible that never died. God didn't answer that prayer. God sent a chariot of fire down from heaven and took him up to heaven. God, I believe, wanted the whole world to know from that day forward that a prophet of God who's out of the will of God couldn't get his prayers answered. And by the way, neither can we when we're out of the will of God. So there's a great attack, and it takes place after a great spiritual experience in the life of Elijah. You can look forward to it. You can expect it. It's going to happen. Second time when we can expect temptation is at the commencement of a great spiritual endeavor. At the commencement or the beginning of a great spiritual endeavor. Where is Jesus going to be uh, after he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What's he going to do next? We saw what he did before, the great spiritual experience. Now this spiritual endeavor. He's going to, in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, he calls his disciples and then he preaches what we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. What is he doing? He is beginning his public ministry. Anytime you are about to begin a great work for God, Satan is going to come after you. You can expect it. It may be when you surrender to the call to preach the gospel. It may be when you surrender to go to the mission field. It may be when you surrender to teach a Sunday school class or sing in the choir or work in the nursery or work on a bus route. It may be when you make a commitment to get more involved in the church, to go soul winning, to start tithing, to read your Bible every day. You can mark it down. When you make those kinds of commitments and begin those endeavors, Satan is going to attack you. He's going to come after you. When you rededicate your life like some of our young people did at, the, at camp or at the, at the uh, teen retreat, or as some of you did this week in the revival meeting, and you decide to get right with God and really live for God, you can mark it down that the devil's going to come after you. Satan will attack, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to be ready for it when it takes place. 
When can we expect temptation? At the consciousness of a great spiritual experience. At the commencement of a great spiritual endeavor. Thirdly, at the condition of great physical exhaustion. One of the times the devil attacks us is when we're just worn out. When we're physically exhausted. After you've had a hard week in some particular thing that you're doing. If you look at verse number 2 in chapter 4, it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Jesus is physically exhausted, and the devil attacks. It may be after a hard week of vacation Bible school. It may be after a long week of revival meetings. It may be after a move to another location. It may be after a tough week at work. It may be after a tough surgery that you go through or even the birth of a child for many of our ladies. Jesus, in this case, was worn out. He had no food for 40 days. He's anguishing in prayer over his public ministry. He's hungry and he's weak. Satan is a dirty fighter. Amen? And Satan fights us when he finds us physically exhausted and tired and worn out. He'll jump on us with both feet. He'll come after us. And so we as Christians need to be careful that we take care of ourselves physically and that we as best we can don't allow ourselves to get physically exhausted and worn out. Sometimes you can't help it, but be aware that those are times when the devil will attack you when you're just worn out. So that brings me to the third thing, and that is, what is the evidence of temptation? What is the evidence? How do we know we're under attack of Satan, and we're not just having a bad day? Or we just are having bad luck? As smart as Satan is, he never has changed his tactics. You know, only a fool would have his battle tactics written down and exposed to the enemy, so that they would know when he's coming and how he would attack them. But God has written them down for us, hasn't he? He's given to us Satan's plan for attack, and he's given to us over and over again in the Bible, and yet the average Christian doesn't know it and doesn't know when to expect it. And so we're not prepared for the attack of the enemy. Sometimes he comes in a very subtle way, very softly, quiet, like he, like he did with the serpent in the garden. Other times he comes with great assault. He brings everything at us at one time. I want you to notice his attack. Notice his attack. In verse number 3 of chapter 4 it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. In the attack, there is always a doubt about sonship. If you look down at verse 6, it says, and, thus, and, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. If thou be the Son of God. Satan is the God of doubt. He always poses in your mind questions that bring doubt to your mind. Satan was saying to Jesus, he said in verse 6, If thou be the Son of God, he's saying, are you sure you really are who you say you are? Are you really sure that you're the Son of God? If thou be the Son of God. He asks you and me the same question. Are you really sure you're a Son of God? Are you really sure you're saved? He tries to bring attack and question and doubts about our sonship. 
What does John 1.12 say? But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to what? Become the sons of God. When the devil tries to bring doubt, all we have to do is go back to the word of God. I've received him, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. He always brings a doubt about sonship or salvation. Secondly, in the attack, there's a debate about security. There's a debate about security. Again, look at verse number 6. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now Satan quotes a verse of Scripture, but he misquotes it. And that's not uncommon for the devil. He did that with Eve in the garden. He quotes a passage of Scripture, and he presents a debate about security. In other words, what he's saying to Jesus is, if you cast yourself down off of this pinnacle of the temple, will God take care of you? He says his angels won't even let you stub your toes, so jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and let's see if God will really take care of you. Doubts about his security. Doubts about whether God really cares about you. Doubts about whether God really loves you. Doubts about whether God is really powerful enough to overcome Satan in your life. What Satan did to Eve was a dirty trick. God had placed Eve in the garden with Adam, and God had given them one prohibition. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan said... Hath God said? You see, he's the God of doubt. Hath God said, you shall not eat of this tree? And she said, yea, God said, we shall eat of it. We shouldn't eat of it, neither should we touch it, lest we die. And Satan said, you shall not surely die. You won't die for sure, but God knows this. The day that you eat of that fruit of the tree... You eat of it and you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, God did know good and evil, didn't he? But the construction of the word know that's used there means to experience. God never experienced evil. And to give her the idea that God really didn't want her to have the best for her life, she is putting doubt in the mind of Eve. You know what Eve's first sin was? Her first sin wasn't eating of the fruit. Her first sin was doubting that God loved her. God's withholding something that's good for you. He doesn't really love you or he'd let you have it. He convinced her that God didn't really want her to have what was best for her. And God does that for us in our lives over and over and over again. We read the Bible and we see restrictions in the Bible. And Satan says, you see, your God is a mean old God. He won't let you have any fun. He really doesn't want you to have the best. And Satan gets us to doubt the Word of God. And then in this attack, Satan tries to get him to deviate from his service to God. He tries to get Jesus to deviate from his service to God. Look at verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil taketh him up into the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
You see, that's always a part of the attack. He gets us to doubt our salvation, and he gets us to doubt by debating our security. Does God really love me? Will he really take care of me? And then he tries to get us to deviate from the service that God has called us to do for him. The devil wants to get us to quit serving God. Quit your Sunday school class. Quit your bus route. Quit your singing in the choir. Quit your working in the nursery. Quit your service for God. The devil is constantly attacking us because he doesn't want you and me to serve God. He doesn't want God to have our service and he doesn't want God to get the glory for it. And remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that is common to all of us. It's common. That's the way it goes every single time. So we see his attack. I want you to notice his approach. Satan is really limited to his approach. Keep your finger there in Matthew and go over with me to 1 John chapter 2. These are verses that you're familiar with as well. Look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God says you can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, and here he gives it to us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Satan is limited in his approach. There are only three areas that describe this evil world, and these are the only three approaches of Satan. He always uses the same three things. He uses the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Go back to our passage in Matthew chapter 4. Satan tempted Jesus with the lust of the flesh. How did he do that? He's gone without eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does Satan say to Jesus? You see those rocks? You're, if you're God, you can just turn them into bread. The body, the flesh, it hungers. Make them into bread. Fulfill the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. The first approach of Satan is always the lust of the flesh. He always causes the body to cry out for something it wants and to set aside everything else. It could be how you dress it. It could be how you present it. It could be how you abuse it. It could be what you do with it, with your body. It could be with narcotics, it could be with alcohol or sex or tobacco or even with food. The lust of the flesh. The flesh is one of his primary tools that the devil will use when he attacks us. And then the second approach of Satan is the lust of the eyes. Look back, if you will, at Matthew chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He takes him up there and he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. All of the kingdoms, all of the riches, all the beautiful buildings of the Roman Empire. All of the gold and the jewels and the silver. And Satan makes a claim. He says, 
if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give you this. What he was saying was, they belong to me. Could I tell you that's a lie? They didn't belong to Satan. My heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he created it and he made it. If he made it out of nothing, then it belongs to him. It's his. The lust of the eyes. The things that we want in life. The things that we want to own. Be careful when you see something and you can just feel it. You've got to have it. That's always a dangerous thing. Those things that we want to possess. And by the way, television is a master with advertising to make us want things, isn't it? Many a Christian has died spiritually because of materialism in their lives. And then Satan's third approach is the pride of life. The pride of life in verses 5 and 6, again, he said, The devil taketh him up to a holy city, into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and, their ha- <coughs> and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Satan takes Jesus up on this pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple was 293 feet high. And when they looked down off of the pinnacle of the temple, they saw the pile of rocks that were used to stone people to put them to death. And notice how Satan starts this last of his only three attacks that he has with anybody. He starts out with if, in verse number 6. He saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God. He goes right back to that old thing of doubt. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, he always wants to put doubt in his mind. That's his main weapon in his hand. If thou be the Son of God, dive off of this pinnacle onto those rocks, and if you get up without a bruise, then you'll know that you really are the Son of God. And you will know that you are God's Son you'll know that God's going to do what he said he would do. I think maybe Satan said to Jesus, I double dog dare you to jump. (laughs) You know what, I'm glad that wasn't me. Because I would have jumped. In my pride, I couldn't stand it for somebody to tell me that I couldn't do something. And many of you are just like me, we would have jumped. We would have taken the dare. But you know something? It's one of the differences between us and God is that there was no pride in the Lord Jesus Christ, was there? None whatsoever. You know what Jesus was probably saying? We're not told exactly what he said. He did say he quoted the word of God. He may have said something like this. He may have said, Satan, you know who I am. Or you wouldn't be working so hard at this. Satan... You know, and I know who I am, or you wouldn't be working so hard. You see, the pride of life, it's one of the greatest destructive forces known to man. To play around with the world, to think I can still have a social drink once in a while, or I can handle it, it's not a big deal. I can be friendly with that lady at work or that man on the job. I can get close to him or to her. I would never fall into adultery, not me. But you and I know that if you play with sin, 
you're going to get burned every single time. And the attack of Satan is always the same. It's always the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John says that's all he's got. That's his whole arsenal. There's nothing else. There's no other attack that Satan can use against you. He takes the lust of the flesh, and he takes the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and he wraps them all up in a blanket of doubt, and he tries to beat us up with it. You think about Eve in the Garden of Eden, the lust of the flesh. The Bible says, when she saw that the tree was good for food, and then the lust of the eyes, and that it was pleasant to her eyes. And the pride of life, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Satan used all three of his weaponry against him. And we have to learn that those are the things that he'll use against you and against me to attack us with temptation. Now the final thing is this. How can we effectively defeat those temptations in our life? How can I have victory? How can I defeat those temptations? There's two things. We defeat them the same way Jesus did. First of all, we draw strength from the Word of God. We draw strength from the Word of God. Look at verse number 4. Jesus said, but, it, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Again, in verse number 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And in verse number 10, Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou, shalt thou serve. You and I are to use the Bible, draw strength from the Word of God, and use God's Word as our offensive weapon against the enemy. Someone wrote these words, I see my Lord in the Bible, Whenever I chance to look, he is the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily fair. Whenever I open the Bible, the Lord of the Bible is there. Now in the book's beginning, he gave the earth its form. He is the ark of safety to bear the brunt of the storm, the burning bush in the desert, the budding of Aaron's rod. Yes, when I ever, whenever I open the Bible, I see the Son of God. The lamb upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high, the smitten rock of the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook. Yes, whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior, virgin born. He's the son of David, whom man rejected with scorn. The Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw, the light of the celestial city, the lamb without spot or flaw the bridegroom coming at midnight for whom his people look. Yes, whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. We had better know this book. We've got one offensive weapon as a Christian, and that is the sword of the Lord, which is the Word of God. And Satan is scared to death of it. He runs every time when we use the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. If this book is our offensive weapon, how do you take care of your weapon? Is it rusty or dusty? How do we practice with it? Do we use it? Do we study it? Do we memorize? Do we meditate? If we're going to have victory over the enemy, we must learn to draw strength from the Word of God. And then secondly, we must determine to submit to the will of God. 
We draw strength from the Word of God. We submit to the will of God. Back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt not worship the Lord thy God. And notice the last part of this, And him only shalt thou serve. The devil wanted to get Jesus away from the service. He wants to get us away from serving God. Jesus said, I want you to remember, Him only shalt thou serve serve. If Satan hates the Word of God, and if Satan is frightened from the Word of God, and if it's the one thing that destroys him most quickly, and it guarantees his, his destruction and his eternity away from God, suppose every time he comes to us with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, our first response is to quote to him a passage of Scripture is Satan smart enough to know that every time he brings a temptation against us, we're going to shoot him, you might say, with the word of God or stab him with the sword of the word. What's he going to do? The Bible says he's going to flee. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know what puts the devil to flight? It's the word of God. Each time Jesus said, it is written. And I cannot overemphasize enough the importance in your life and in my life of this book, the Bible, the Word of God. God gave it to us as our offensive weapon against the enemy. We should study it every day. We should read it. We should listen to men preach it and teach it. The more you do, the stronger we become in being able to defeat the enemy. Because the devil likes to jump on us when we are weak. And so if we stay in this book, that's where we find strength. We draw strength from the Word of God. Satan's an unfair fighter. When we get weak, he pounces on us. So we've got to get in the Word of God and feed on the bread, the Word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and find strength to have victory over him. So who's ex who is exempt from temptation? Absolutely no one. When can we expect temptation? When we have the consciousness of a great spiritual experience. When we have the beginning, the commencement of a spiritual endeavor, when we set out to do something for God, and when we have great physical exhaustion. What's the evidence of temptation? We notice his attack. He attacks us. It's always with doubt. Doubt about sonship, about salvation. Debate about security. Will God protect me? Does he care for me? And an attack to get us to deviate from our service to God. He does not want us to serve him. And his approach is always the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. How do we defeat him? Draw strength from the word of God and determine to submit to the will of God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the instructions. Thank you that we can have victory in our lives over this enemy who wants to destroy us. May we recommit ourselves to the Word of God. May we recommit ourselves to our love for you and our service for you. And may we understand that you love us so much that you gave the greatest that you could give in giving your Son. We should never doubt your love when we look at what you gave for us. I pray that you'll help us to understand that we're going to be tempted just like Jesus was. May we know the enemy's tactics and may we be prepared 
May we draw strength from your word and may we submit to your will. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.